our scripture reading this morning in connection with our consideration of Lord's Day 2, which mentions the great commandment, commandment to love God and to love our neighbor, is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll read the whole of this passage of God's Word. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. On the basis, beloved, of that passage of Scripture and of all of the Word of God that we are instructed in Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, questions and answers 3, 4, and 5. Keeping in mind what Lord's Day 1 mentioned, namely that there are three things that we need to know, that is, to believe in order to enjoy our comfort, and in order to be able to live and die happily, we now consider the first of those, our misery. The question is, whence knowest thou thy misery? Answer, out of the law of God. What doth the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly, Matthew 22, 37 through 40, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And question five, canst thou keep all these things perfectly? And the answer, in no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Beloved in Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism, and this particular Lord's Day, Lord's Day 2 of the Catechism, do not hold back concerning sin. The Catechism and this Lord's Day is not soft or lenient with regard to sin. But immediately, Lord's Day 2 gets to the point concerning how miserable we are on account of sin. That's clear right away from question three, the question itself, which asks, whence knowest thou thy misery? And if you stop to think of it, that's not the kind of question that you ask someone who is miserable. You don't ask them how they know it. You don't ask them how they came to discover that they were miserable, that's not very comforting. And that's not really a very good way to show sympathy to that. But that's what the Catechism does. And then secondly, that's obvious from question and answer five of the Catechism, canst thou keep all these things perfectly? And the answer that it gives is in no wise. And that's not just a cold, abstract answer that the Catechism puts before us, but it's an answer that the Catechism puts before us as our answer to that question, a personal answer. Can you keep the law of God perfectly? 
And every believer confesses and must say, in no wise. There's no way at all that I can do that. For I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. I say again, the catechism is very pointed and sharp concerning sin. And that may come as somewhat of a surprise after Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. That Lord's Day, as you know, sets forth the theme of the Catechism, namely comfort, our only comfort. And in setting forth the theme of comfort, you could say that Lord's Day 1 promised us that each Lord's Day would be about comfort. That's the theme, after all. And the child of God, no doubt, wants to hear about comfort. Life in this world for the believer is full of misery. We need comfort in all of our sorrows. We need comfort in all of our troubles and miseries in life. We need comfort in this life because of sin. And the believer might say, after Lord's Day 1, and now as he is introduced to what Lord's Day 2 says, the believer might be inclined to say, I want to hear and I need to hear more about Jesus Christ, that is only about him, only about him. And the Catechism says, not yet, that is at least not directly yet about Jesus Christ. First, you must know about your miseries, and your sin. And the Catechism does that not to ignore the fact that we need comfort, and not even to wait with giving us a word of comfort, but rather because, as it reflects the truth of Scripture, There is the understanding, the correct understanding, that the knowledge of sin is also part of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ and of our salvation in him would be incomplete without a consideration of the truth and the reality of sin. If sin is not included in the preaching of the gospel, And if sin is not included in the body of truth that we believe and that we confess, then there is something missing. If sin is not included, we will not see clearly what we are without Christ, nor will we realize how much we need Christ, nor will we see how thankful we ought to be for him. If the truth of sin is not included, 
then we would be like the Laodiceans as they are described in Revelation 3 verse 17 who said this, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And the word of God said to them this, Thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In order to live and to die happily, and in order to enjoy, therefore, our only comfort of belonging to Christ, we need to have a knowledge of our sin. Consider then with me God's law exposing our misery. And we'll notice the demands of God's law. Secondly, the greatness of our misery. And thirdly, the comfort of knowing this. The Heidelberg Catechism mentions the law of God. The Heidelberg Catechism gives us the summary of the law of God, the command to love. And what the Heidelberg Catechism has in view here is God's moral law, the moral law of God, which is the will of God's commandment to us. The moral law of God, which is what God eternally, eternally decided for us. He eternally decided what we must do and what we must not do. His commandments, the Ten Commandments of the Law of God, and then all of the other commandments, rules, laws, and requirements of God as we find them in Scripture. And God sets that law before us. And he sets that law before us as believers as those who have been delivered from bondage and from sin, as those who have been renewed by his Holy Spirit. And he sets that law before us for a good reason, as the Catechism points out, that the law may be a means through the Spirit to show us our sin. And not simply and merely to show us our sin, but to show us how great our sin and misery is. He sets his law before us, and through the work of the Spirit, he uses that law to show us that our sin is very great. And we are very sinful by nature, and therefore we are very miserable on account of our great sin. And what leads us to that realization is the consideration of the question, what does God require of us? What does God demand? What does his law say to you and to me? In itself, that's a very important question. What does God require? 
That's a question that we should always be asking, a question that we should be asking in every situation in life, at home, at work, in the church, and in, the, in our families. And we should be interested in and listening to the answer to that question too. What does God require? There are many that do not do that. They hardly ask the question, and they don't want to know the answer of what God requires. The world that we live in and the society of, un, that is characterized by ungodliness that surrounds us never asks the question, what does God require? They have banished God from their thoughts and they have banished God from their lives. In daily life, they ask this question, what do I want? And what will give the best results for me? What will provide me with the most success? What will give me the most happiness and pleasure in life? Not what God wants, but what do I want? And that's true in justice and politics in our land too. They don't ask what does God require, but they ask, what is public opinion? What do the people want of us? They never ask, what does God want us to do? They only ask, what does man want us to do? And what do we want to do? So that question beloved, is a question that we must always be asking. What does God require of us? What does God, who is the sovereign lawgiver, tell us that we may not do and that we must do? The answer to that question is very brief. The answer to that question is very simple. Even you children can understand the answer to the question, what does God require? And the answer is simply this, love God. Love God. That's it. That answer covers every other commandment that God gives us. That answer covers all of the Ten Commandments, every commandment that says thou shalt and every commandment that says thou shalt not is covered by this commandment, love God. And therefore that's the commandment of God that applies to every area of life. It applies to our homes, it applies to our church, it applies to our lives in this world. It applies to us in public life as well as in private life. It applies to us in fulfillment of the duties and responsibilities that God gives to us as well as in the times of leisure and fun 
that we have. It applies to us in every situation in life, in sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty, in the good that we experience and in the evils that we face in this life, in times of joy as well as in times of grief. God's command is, love me, love God. first commandment that God puts before us when it comes to loving God is to love God himself, to love God directly. Loving God means that God must be first in your life. Loving God means that God must be your priority in life. Loving God means that God must never be second or third or any other number, but only first. No other person may ever be first in your life. No other thing may ever be first in your life. No other person or thing may be your priority and your focus in life. The main object of your love instead of God. And God adds, when he gives us that commandment, love me perfectly. Love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. God says, love me when you think. Love me when you study. Love me when you are learning things. Love me when you are reading. Love me when you are planning things in your life. Love me when you are considering your desires and goals and purposes in life and deciding what you will do. Love me when you are working. Love me when you are eating. And love me when you are having a time of leisure and relaxation, when you are playing. That's the first and the great commandment that God gives us. And that commandment governs our whole life. And then God in the second place says, and love your neighbor too. And the point of that second commandment is not that God now gives us a second different commandment, a new commandment. This is a commandment that is like unto the first because really it is a commandment that is part of the first commandment to love God. It's really the same commandment. So that the proper way of understanding it is this, you love God directly, and you love God also by loving your neighbor. We saw that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. These are two commandments that are inseparable. That is, they are really two commandments that are one commandment of God. Love God. Love God by loving him directly. And love God by loving your neighbor as yourself. We must love those who are around us. We must love our family members. We must love our fellow believers. And God's commandment is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now that may sound a little strange to us. But the fact is, we do love ourselves. And it is proper for us to do so as long as we do so for the right reasons and with a proper motive in loving ourselves. In loving yourself, you take care of yourself. In loving yourself, you protect yourself. In loving yourself, you provide for yourself, for all of your own needs, physical and especially spiritual. Why do you love yourself? You do not love yourself, at least you ought not love yourself because you consider yourself to be so wonderful, the best person out there, the person who deserves to be loved more than anyone else. That's not why you love yourself, but you love yourself as a believer, as a child of God, because of what you are in Christ. You love yourself because of what Christ has made you to be. He has saved you. He has saved you both body and soul. And so you love yourself, you care for yourself, you protect yourself, you provide for yourself as one who has been saved by Christ. You're loving, you're loving what Christ has made you to be. And Christ says to us, God says to us, now love your neighbor the same way as yourself. Care for your neighbor, protect your neighbor, love your neighbor, provide for your neighbor, help your neighbor, especially your fellow believers. And love your fellow believers for the same reason that you love yourself, because of what he or she is in Christ, because of what Christ has made him or her to be as one of his dear children and a member of his body and of his bride. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put your neighbor's needs above your own. Treat your neighbor as you would like to be treated yourself. Think of your neighbor 
before you think about yourself. That's what God says. Love me and love your neighbor. And if we don't love, we're guilty of hating. And if we're guilty of hating, that's very serious indeed. Concerning those requirements of God as set before us in God's law and in all of the word of God, also in 1 John 4 that we read, which emphasizes that calling to love, concerning all of that, the Catechism asks, canst thou keep all these things perfectly? You have to realize, beloved, that's, that's quite a question. It's really a tremendous question. It's a question that's tremendous because it first of all asks about keeping all these things, all of them, keeping all of God's laws and keeping all of God's commandments always loving God and always loving our neighbor as ourselves. And then it's a tremendous question in the second place because it asks about keeping these things perfectly. Not just doing fairly well in keeping them. Not just doing what we, we might consider good enough in loving God and loving the neighbor, but perfectly. God requires perfection. And anything less than perfection amounts to not keeping the law of God. But in the third place, and most significantly, this is a tremendous question because the question asks, canst thou? The question is not, do you keep these things? Do you keep them perfectly? Then you might say in response to that question, well, I at least try. I try hard. I try hard to love God and I try hard to love my neighbor, and most of the time I don't do very well, but sometimes I almost do it. But it doesn't ask that question, do you? The Catechism asks us the question, can you? Are you able? And it's getting down to our ability. Do you have the ability in and of yourself to love God and to love your neighbor and to love them perfectly? A question about ability. And it's in answer to the question about ability that the Spirit leads the child of God to say, in no wise. 
Not at all. I cannot do this. I do not have the ability of myself to love God and to love my neighbor. That's it. I cannot. You see, beloved, God's law shows us our sinfulness and shows us our sin. God's law shows us what we are of, of, our, of ourselves without Christ. Romans 3 verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. It has been said that the law of God is like a mirror. We all use mirrors and probably pretty much every morning you look at yourself in a mirror. And When you look at yourself in a mirror, what do you usually notice first? And most of all, you notice your faults, you notice your blemishes, you notice the wrinkles, you notice the pimples, you notice the hair that is out of place. And the longer you look in the mirror and study yourself, the more blemishes you will notice. That's what God's law does as God applies it to the believer by his spirit. The law shows you and me our spiritual faults, our spiritual blemishes, our spiritual problems, our spiritual wrinkles and our spiritual pimples. And just as with an ordinary mirror, the more that we look into the law of God, the more that we look at ourselves in light of the law of God and what it commands us, the longer we look, the more clearly we see our sin. What do we see when we look into the law as a mirror? We do not see this, that we can say, I am almost perfect, I hardly ever sin, I hardly ever hate anyone, I hardly ever hate God or my neighbor, I love them quite well. That's not what we see. But when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's law, and the Spirit uses that law as he must, because we would never admit it of ourselves, the Spirit must work in us this, then we say, I cannot keep God's law at all by myself. By nature, I cannot love God, and by nature, I cannot love my neighbor as myself. I am in no wise capable of doing those things. I'm not even slightly able to do those things myself. All I can do is the opposite because I am prone by nature to hate. 
And that proneness to hate is not simply an inclination so that that's what I'm inclined to do by myself, but can often avoid doing. But when the Catechism says that we are prone by nature, it is telling us that that's all that we can do by ourselves. And so the law of God shows us what we should do, but cannot do. What we cannot do by nature, what we cannot do on our own, what we are incapable of doing apart from the grace of God in us, apart from Christ in us. And you know, therefore, what the law is revealing to us about ourselves. It is revealing to us that we are by nature totally depraved. By, gr by grace, because that's the opposite of what we are by nature. By grace, we are new creatures in Christ. And we are saved by the grace and power of God in Christ. And by the power of grace in us, the power of Christ in us, we are able to love God and we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves, not perfectly, but we are able. However, we still have a sinful nature. And we will have that sinful nature with us until we die. And that nature can only hate. And that nature leads us to commit the sin of hatred. That sinful nature raises its ugly head. God says to us, love me, love me by worshipping me, love me by worshipping me on the Lord's day in my house, and love me by worshipping me every day of your life, through prayer and through the scripture. And we say, I don't feel like it. God says to us, love me by loving your family, love me by loving your neighbor in your home. And yet we often hurt those neighbors and perhaps hurt those neighbors more than we hurt any other neighbor. We hurt our husbands, we hurt our wives, we hurt our children, we hurt our parents, we sin against them. God's law says to us, love me by loving your neighbor as yourself in the fellowship and company of fellow believers. Love me by forgiving your fellow believers. But we decide we're going to hold a grudge against someone. Or we're going to hate someone. Or we're going to gossip and slander and speak evil words about someone. And that's difficult for us 
to accept, but that's the reality. And the reality that we have to confess and have to accept and have to admit is this, that my disinterest sometimes in worship, my disinterest in spiritual activities, my disinterest in daily devotions is not because God's word is boring or God's word is unhelpful to me or God's word is inapplicable to me, but it's because of my sin, my failure to love God. And we have to admit, too, that our inability to get on with someone in our family or our inability to get on with someone at school or our inability to get along with someone in the church is not because of a fault in them, but again, because of sin in us, a failure to love the neighbor as our soul. God's law shows us that. And therefore reveals to us that we are, by nature, totally depraved. Totally depraved. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh understanding after God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one, of himself, of herself. That's the reality of what we are by nature, the reality of our total depravity. But there is, beloved, comfort in knowing these truths about sin in our soul. At first you may, may be inclined to say it doesn't seem like there is. It seems that this is all negative. Negative to be told you're a miserable sinner, you're totally depraved, you're incapable of yourself, of loving God and the neighbor. Because it can seem to be so negative, there are many who don't want to mention sin. So that sin is not mentioned in prayers and sin is not mentioned in sermons. And the message in many churches is, you're all good people. You're all doing a wonderful job. You're doing great things. That's all that is said. But as we noted earlier, and as the Catechism itself teaches us, the comfort for a believer is impossible without the knowledge of sin. We need the knowledge of sin to enjoy our comfort. We need the knowledge of sin to live and to die happily. Therefore, there is comfort 
in knowing how great our sin and our misery is. And first of all, there is comfort in this knowledge because the knowledge of sin is the knowledge of faith. That is, this is what is acknowledged about sin. This is what is admitted and confessed about sin only by those who have faith. That is, who have the Spirit in them and who have been delivered from their sin by Christ. Unbelievers do not and will not admit these things about themselves. Does an ungodly person ever say, I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor, but I cannot? I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor, but the only thing I can do is hate them? Unbelievers don't say those kind of things. If anything, an unbeliever will say, I do love them. He will claim that he does. And that unbeliever might even add, if I don't love them, I could if I wanted but I simply choose not to. That's how it is with an unbeliever. But it is the child of God who admits his inability to love the neighbor and to love God. It is the child of God who admits his inability to do that of himself and his proneness by nature to hate. And that's true of a child of God, not because the law on its own convicts you and me of that. And that's true of you and me as a child of God, not because a man who preaches the word of God about sin convicts us of that, but that's the confession of the child of God because of the Holy Spirit who convicts us of that, the Spirit who humbles us, the Spirit who gives us a knowledge of our sin. A spirit who convicts us of our sinfulness. A spirit who convicts us that we are those who by nature cannot love. Cannot love God and cannot love our neighbor. Because our total depravity means as we are by nature, there is no good in us whatsoever. The Spirit leads you to say that. The Spirit leads you to say, I am by nature a wretched sinner. <coughs> and that in itself is comforting because then you know you have been saved from sin because the Spirit is within you. You have been changed, and you have been led by the Spirit of Christ to confess this about yourself. That's comforting, because that shows 
you belong to Christ. Only those who are his will ever confess this. And then in the second place, the knowledge of sin is also comforting because it shows us how blessed we are to belong to, to Jesus Christ. God gives us the knowledge of sin in order to lead us to his Son. And having been shown by looking into the mirror of God's law and the Spirit applying that to us, having been shown our sin, we have been shown that we need Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we have been shown that we have been saved by him. The gospel that is brought to us in scripture and the gospel that is summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism is not simply the message to God's people that you cannot keep God's law, you are totally depraved, and that's it. But the full truth of the gospel is that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, saves those who cannot themselves keep his law and saves them through Christ, who kept the law for them. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We belong to him who has fully satisfied for all our sins and delivered us from the wrath that we deserve. He has kept the law for us, and he has, by his keeping of the law of God that we could not keep, that we could never keep, he has earned righteousness for us and imputed that righteousness to us so that we can say with 1 John 4, 17 that we read earlier that we may have boldness even in the day of judgment. That's remarkable. Boldness on the day of judgment. Because Christ kept the law for us and we are righteous <coughs> in him. But the blessedness of belonging to Christ is not only that we are justified by him. The blessing of belonging to Christ is also that he sanctifies us, he empowers us to love. 1 John 4.19, we love, we do, we do. We love him, that is God, and implied in that is we love our neighbor because God has first loved us. You see, that we don't, as God's people, get, as it were, stuck in this section concerning sin. We don't get left here in this section of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning sin so that we leave and all that we know about ourselves is we, we can only hate, hate, hate. God doesn't do that to his people. The purpose of God, as summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism too, is that he 
does not leave us lost in sin and condemnation, but he rescues us. And he gives us the gospel concerning our being rescued in order to give us comfort as his people. That's the message of comfort. In fact, when it comes to the section of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning sin, you'll notice it's the shortest. It's the shortest. Three Lord's Days. And even in each of those Lord's Days, there is clearly implied the comfort of belonging to Christ. We belong to a Savior who renews us by nature, We cannot keep the commandments of God, but by grace we can. Because by the grace of God, we do love God and love our neighbor. We love him, God, because he first loved us. The knowledge of sin, then, is a good thing. The knowledge of sin is a blessing. The knowledge of sin is a gift of God's grace to us and to us only who belong to Christ. The knowledge of sin is something to be thankful for. And so we see clearly how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ And we see clearly how blessed we are to belong to him. Amen. Our Father and our God in heaven, wilt thou be pleased through this thy word to bless us, to comfort our hearts, so that though thou dost give to us the knowledge of sin, we see how richly blessed we are to belong to Christ who has delivered us and who has earned for us righteousness by keeping the law in our place. We have comfort in him and we thank thee for it as thou dost work it in our hearts by thy word and by thy spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.